You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to the Helium Boys Podcast. I'm your host, Shotgun Spratling, alongside my co-host, Chris Trevino. We're going to be looking at USC's win in the desert at Arizona State. Chris and I were both there on the sidelines. We'll check out that. We'll look forward to see what USC is going to do against Colorado as well. We'll look at stock up, stock down. We'll break down it all. We'll answer your guys' questions just like we do every week because this is a, a podcast of the people. But first, got to bring in my co-host, Chris. How are we doing tonight? The podcasting gods, hopefully they're shining down on us. We are, are going to get this one out. This is a a this is becoming a popular podcast on the network. So thank you to all the people that have listened and downloaded this uh, this silly little serious, non-serious USC podcast that we do, The Healing Boys. So thank you so much. So just want to start off by thanking the USC fans who are uh, reacting and downloading our podcast. Yeah, and on that same vein, a quick shout-out to everyone that we got to see in the desert this weekend from the meetup where Chris wasn't able to get there. We'll blame Ryan for for not booking the travel correctly on that one. But uh, the people that came to the meetup, it was great to see everyone that was there, uh, get to interact with everyone. And then, you know, before the game and during the game, Chris and I get to see everyone on the sidelines and in the parking lots and stuff at the tailgate whatnot. Uh, we love seeing you guys. Uh, we want to, you know, we want to be able to chat with you every time we get a chance to. So thank you for listening. Thank you for participating. And thank you for, you know, sh- shouting us out when you do see us at, at a game and whatnot, too. Hopefully we'll get to see all you guys in the future. Um, probably not at Colorado. Probably not going to be a meetup there. I don't know. We'll see uh, if, how the things kind of play out there with it being such an early game. But maybe for uh, the Notre Dame game or something like that. So we'll see uh, if we get those things arranged and whatnot. But as Chris said, this is the Helium Boys podcast, a serious, non-serious USC podcast. This is part of the Peristyle podcast family of shows. But Chris, we've already wasted too much time. We're so behind because normally we jump right in. So it's time for the two-minute drill. USC defeats Arizona State 42-28. to You have two minutes to give me your thoughts. Go. I've been thinking about what I wanted to say for this two-minute drill. And I think the first part is that I do agree with Lincoln Riley and his comments at the end of the postgame presser that, you know, road games in college are super hard to get. They are hard fought. There's a reason why around 70% of the home teams in college football win. It's very hard to win on the road when you have 18 to 20 year old kids, you know, a lot of distractions going on. These guys are not professionals. They got class, all these things going on. So to go into an environment, a hostile environment where you as a USC Trojan are going to get the best effort Every night from every team you play, this is every team Super Bowl on the schedule. And that, I think that's what they got there in Tempe, Arizona. So I agree with them that it is any road win is a good road win. You know, it's tough to pull out those games. So kudos to them for that resiliency to come out and get it. But on the same on the flip side of that coin, I do feel like this was like an empty calorie kind of meal. You know, when you eat like a bunch of donuts because you're hungry and you, you ate something, you feel good about eating something, you're satisfied, but you don't really feel satisfied with the win. You, it's empty calories, you're just going to be hungry later, and I feel like that's how the fans are with this win. You you got a win, but it wasn't it wasn't a really a, a feel-good win. You know, the offense 
was just a little bit off, which means everybody was just a little bit off. But Caleb Williams, so good. His floor is so much higher than it was last year. That's how good he is. Even when he's a little bit off, he's still an elite player. But the defense is everything we're talking about because it kind of reminded you of last season's defense with all the yards they gave up, with all the tackling they gave up, with all the explosive plays they kind of allowed. It's still an issue, and we learned a little bit more about that defense that made me go a little bit cautious on what we're looking at, and maybe this team can't get to the playoff. But I'm still waiting for a little bit more information before I cast a full picture on them, but it wasn't a great effort. Just uh, you have 202 there, I believe, Chris. So a little little uh, lagging on your part. So uh, I'll have to pick up. Yeah, it was the slack. only one second on the clock when you turned it around. Whoa, whoa, so. whoa! Don't even try to make up stuff. You got the clock ready. Let's go. Give me my two minutes. My two minutes to shine here, Chris, because I think it will be the only on. time I'll get it. I'll get a chance to talk in this podcast. Uh, is this two minutes? Because I feel like you have a lot of opinions. I don't have a lot of opinions, and <laughs> you were just getting you were getting red, revved up there. So let me get this going. Okay, ready, set. A go. I think my biggest takeaway from this is, is similar to what you said. It's it's an unsatisfactory win. You still go on the road, and this is for the fans. Fans are like, we want more. We want more. I think Lincoln Riley kind of described it on Trojans Live this week, saying people outside just don't understand how difficult it can be to go on the road and win a game when, especially as he's mentioned many times, Hey, it's going to be their super bowl. You know, the, the place was packed. I give a ton of credit to the Arizona state fans, the student section in particular, a lot of FU chants going through there. Uh, FU USC, FU Caleb. Um, besides that, they were really good. They had some good heckles in there as well. Uh, you know, they were all over cliff Kingsbury, his return to the the desert as well. So it's a tough atmosphere for the first time, and it felt very much like Oregon State. I described it that way in this analysis. That's what it reminded me of, where USC had struggles getting the play call in, making the checks at the line of scrimmage, doing all those type of things that they're able to do so easily at home. And it's kind of disappointing that that happens again because you say, hey, last year, new offense, new staff, new players, all that. But now you feel like you got everybody should be able to have that, you know, figured out a little bit quicker in Lincoln Riley's third year. So that was a little bit disappointing. And in the defense, like you said, the explosive plays is what stands out in this. However, the difference is from last year is how many explosive negative plays they also created. Now, that's what this this is a boom and bust defense. And, so, and the question can reign and be debated forever about whether or not you need to be that way with the players that you have when you have more talent than the other team, uh, you know, sending different blitzes and things like that. But eight sacks most in, uh, I think, over a decade. Um, and, you know, they're leading the nation in tackles for loss right now. So all those explosive plays added up to be a big difference maker there for USC as well. Clock definitely influenced him there at the end. He got <laughs> oh. it in. I feel like, I feel like he saw that there was, Six seconds left, and he kind of had to cut himself off. I saw that. I saw that look in your eye, <laughs> but you got it, and you you hit it on a perfect point. So kudos to you for for fitting it in for the two minute drill. Well, Chris, you, know, you can jump off. I, I gave you a lot of points there. You had some as well. Why don't we just jump straight into stock up, stock down? We'll go through the Arizona State game and where USC is kind of headed, and then we'll take a look at uh, this upcoming week against Colorado. For sure. Well, I want to start with maybe it's not it's obviously not an overarching theme but i just want to get it out of the way now so i don't forget and i give its proper due stock up on dennis lynch i want to start with dennis lynch 
the the seasoned or becoming a seasoned starting kicker awarded a scholarship today after his really good performance on Saturday. And we did not talk enough about it on Tunnel Vision. I did shout it out. I don't know if you guys talked about it on Instant Analysis, but I don't think he was getting enough love for the performance that he had in that second half, kicking those two field goals and particularly that huge one, that 53-yarder, which ended up being a the third longest field goal in USC history and a career long for him, besting his 49-yard kick he made last season against UCLA. Dennis Lynch obviously has not been called upon a bunch of times this year. That was just his second and third field goal attempts of the season. But hey, just got to give the kid some love just for coming in there in a big pressure spot on the road. Sure, you make a 53-yarder in the Coliseum. It's great. You make a 53-yarder on the road in the eye of the student section in that hostile environment, knowing that if you miss this kick, Arizona State has great field position at the 37-yard line staring at taking over and maybe tying this game up and giving instead you're pushing it to a two score lead uh, and proving the faith that Lincoln Riley had and Dennis Lynch to go out there and then getting a scholarship today on the team meeting. The, the, the team was going crazy. I hope they drop that video. Sometimes I love when a preferred walk on gets a scholarship. <laughs> so I'm hoping for that video, do the right thing, release the, uh, release the video Lincoln Riley and that video staff. So I just got to give a shout out to Dennis Lynch because he didn't get enough love over the weekend for for the two field goals that he made and stepping in late and handling kickoff duties on the road in a hostile environment. Big, big pressure kick. Add that to his resume. Obviously, he still doesn't have a game-winning kick to his resume. And, you know, USC fans hope that he's never in the position to have to kick that. But just just grow, grow. that was a big kick, and a, and a lot of confidence can can come from that, obviously. So just stock up on Dennis Lynch. So it's, it's been a great 72 hours for him. Yeah, definitely. You know, he made a big impact. You're right. He didn't get enough recognition. I mean, the field goal that he makes pushes it out, uh, I believe, was a six-point game then, or he pushed it to two scores initially, the the long-distance one that he made. They didn't use him and with a chance to go up by two scores, which is a surprising move by Lincoln Riley. Um, but, you know, congratulations to him. It's awesome to see. Chris, you know his backstory really well. You know, tell the people a little bit about how this guy probably shouldn't be a college kicker. It's kind of a you know uh, kind of a whimsical thing. It seems like uh, the opportunity for him to even start kicking, and the fact that he's what five foot six, five foot seven, Irish kid with uh, you know curly red hair. I mean, it, it just is it, not what your your prototypical Division One scholarship now athlete would look like. I think he's gen- generously listed at five foot eight. So we'll just leave it with the uh, USC height listed, but uh, five foot eight, one ninety. But yeah, is relatively new to kicking. Did not start kicking until his junior year of high school. He was on a, a Newberry Parks uh, soccer team, which is uh, regionally renowned. He was a soccer player, and then the football team asked all the soccer players to come out for a specialist tryout. And obviously, a lot of teams do that in high school. They they seek out. Uh, the soccer kids to maybe be a, a guy that can mold into, you know, a high school kicker, you know, not a lot of kids go through that path to becoming a college kicker, but he went out to the tryout, banged a 60 yarder. And that was history. Then, then he was, became the, the kicker for the team. And when USC offered him, he actually had only made an attempted one field goal in his high school career. It was a 31 <laughs> yard make. So he only had one high school kick under his belt and got a preferred walk on scholarship offer. For, uh, excuse me, a preferred walk-on offer, not a scholarship offer. That makes no sense, Shotgun. He got a preferred walk-on offer 
from USC. So decided to take it. Had some other schools looking at him, Georgia Tech, UNLV, but wanted to stay close to home. And a guy that has just worked relentlessly, obviously redshirted his first year, won the starting kicker job over the scholarship kicker, Alex Stadhouse, who came back, which was a big surprise. You know, he was uh, he was good. You know, he had some a little bit of consistency issues. We know he had a big leg, but he's really shown improvement this year. Obviously, it's a small sample size with just those three kicks. But to bang a 53-yarder in that pressure moment is huge. And it's all about confidence with kickers, as it is with most football players. But just having that consistency and confidence as a kicker is a is a dangerous combo and one that makes for great success. He's also perfect in his career on extra points. I believe he is over 100 extra points. He kicked 74 last year. I think he's about 26 this year. I have to go back and look. But he has just been a model of consistency and extra points and gaining more confidence as a place kicker and field goal kicker. And I just want to say, I know all this because I talked to Dennis Lynch. I interviewed him when he committed as a preferred walk-on. And people were like, why would you talk to a preferred walk-on? They are still football players and they have great stories. <laughs> so I always love to talk to them. It doesn't matter if you're a five-star, a two-star, or whatever, or no stars as a preferred walk-on. I'm going to try to talk to you. And I'm going to try to learn more about you so I can talk like this on a podcast three years down the line when you get your scholarship offer. Yeah, just don't tell Gerard that. Gerard does not believe that walk-ons are people. He, he doesn't believe in them. Um, you know, he's uh, it's it's amazing. You know, since he's a part of the two-star, uh, the positive two-star podcast, but he doesn't believe in walk-ons at all. He didn't he didn't think that they're people or that we should ever write about them and we should focus on the scholarship guys. But that's not what we do here. The Helium Boys, we pump everybody up, especially Dennis Litch. Chris, I got a question. Makes a fifty-three yarder. Probably could have been 54, depending. I mean, it was, the spot was right there on the yard mark. It could have given it to him. Um, but last year he tried a 56-yarder against Arizona. Do you think he gets that scholarship a year earlier if he makes that one against Arizona? Oh, definitely. You bang a 56-yarder, <laughs> yeah, you can you can get a scholarship. You can get two scholarships for, for making that kick. Yeah, I definitely – and you can see why he has a big leg, and I can see why I predicted him to set the field goal record for USC – Last season, one of my bold predictions obviously did not come true, but you can see that I had stock in Dennis Lynch. Also, a, a great dresser, as we know, became a became a, a, a meme sensation for the uh, the drip checks uh, before mm-hmm. the game. So a lot going on for Dennis Lynch. Yeah, 102 out of 102 on extra points now. And I think one of the, the things that's most notable is he, he struggled a little bit with the 30 to 39 yard range he missed five of those last year he's banged both of those through this year last year he was eight of eight on 40 to 49 yarders including that 49 yarder you talked about against ucla which was a huge one because usc wins that game by three points uh but you know i, I think it's really big for him to get this opportunity it's great to see and yeah i'm looking forward to that video too so dennis Slitch, big props to him he's definitely on our stock up uh i gotta start with another guy who has Gone through some trials and tribulations, I, I want to say. Uh, Romello Height, a guy that you know transfers to USC after being banged up during his time at Auburn. Uh, he comes to USC, starting rush last year, plays a little bit, gets I believe he got a targeting the first uh, game of the season, if I remember correctly. So he gets ejected from the first game, only plays 15, 20 snaps. Second game, injures his shoulder, has to have surgery on it, and is done for the season, plays basically a, a – 25, 30 snaps, uh, you know, he played one drive in that Stanford game before he got injured. Uh, so to see him, a guy that started the season as a third-string guy, Anthony Lucas started, 
And then you had Jamil Muhammad behind him. Jamil Muhammad's bumped up. Romelo Height has bumped up now. Anthony Lucas has actually switched over to playing behind Solomon Bird now uh, because Romelo Height has has been terrific. And he'd been close, and you've seen some signs of, you know, okay, it's almost there, almost there. That's been the case with a couple of different defensive linemen, whether it be Anthony Lucas, whether it be Corey Foreman coming off the the bench late. Guys, they're getting close but not getting there. This game, he gets two sacks, one rushing the quarterback and pushing him out of bounds a couple yards shy, second one getting back in the backfield and just slinging the quarterback down, doing the crane celebration afterwards. And then the very next play, he recovers the fumble uh, from Solomon Bird coming around the edge and knocking the ball away. So huge game for Romello Height. And it wasn't just that he put up a couple stats, but he's on my stock up because in the second half, they turned to him and they let him go loose. You know, that he was a guy that was in, you know, he got probably as many snaps. I haven't totaled up all the, the snap counts, but he probably got as many snaps as Jamil Muhammad. And, he, and actually looking at now, looking at my spreadsheets, he had more snaps than Jamil Muhammad. So they said, hey, this guy's cooking. He's making an impact. We're going to leave him in there and let him do his thing. And you saw the result of it. So uh, awesome to see. And it was, it was really fun to hear or really cool to hear Eric Grinch excuse me, Eric Gentry, talk about Romello Height after the game. I asked him what it meant to see him because I noticed on the sideline, everybody was so hyped up after, you know, after he recovered that fumble and had the sack to play before. There was so everyone coming over the bench to congratulate him and everything. Um, and I asked him about it. He said, yeah, he's a guy that, you know, he came in at the same time as, as Gentry. So he's seen him be in, you know, down at his lowest kind of, you know, dealing with that injury and not having any success. And then, hey, USC brings in more guys to basically play over him and said, hey, you know, go compete for your spot. And he's earned that playing time this year. And that you, uh, Eric Gentry said you could see his confidence growing. And I think his confidence is definitely going to grow from, from this game. So big ups to Romello Height. He was a guy that I was really excited about for USC last year coming in. I thought he could make an impact coming off the edge. And obviously the injuries sapped that opportunity from him. So if he can do that off the bench for you with what Jamil Mohammed's doing in front, what Solomon Bird's doing, and if Anthony Lucas starts taking a couple more steps, um, like we're seeing – pieces of that front just continues to get better and better uh, as the season goes along is what USC is going to need to compete against some of the prolific offenses that the Pac-12 does have. I'm going to go ahead and assume that his snap count for this game will be his season high because it seems like if I go back and look at his uh, snap totals from the first three games, he's had more each week. And so he's literally stock up in terms of his snaps and he's playing more and more each week getting more comfortable, shaking that rust off of not playing last season. And yeah, just a very humble guy and a guy, you know, we didn't know really what to expect, you know, with that shoulder, you know, you know, we were all hyped on Jamil Muhammad and then Solomon Bird really emerged. We didn't know what to expect from Melo Hyde coming off that shoulder injury, a guy who has a lot of potential, but you know, you just have to stay on the field. You got to stay healthy. As we've said on this podcast, many times can't make the club in the tub, but to see him out there and playing, and, you know, he doesn't need to start this year. You know, Jamal Muhammad and Solomon Bird do a great job there. But if Merle High can, get, can come in and play like a starter off the bench, that's incredible for USC. So it's it was so great to see him get those sacks. His first career sacks, if I, if I, if I, mm-hmm. I believe that, yep. his first career sacks of his college, that was a big thing. You know, when was he going to finally break through and get his first college sack? I actually predicted it for Stanford. He ends up doing a, a week later or two weeks later, excuse me, after the bye week. For this game and then to recover that fumble as well so Mello Height 
making plays out there and hope to see him grow more and more in that role. Yeah, and, and as you said, uh, snap count is is rising. He had 10 defensive snaps first game, uh, 21, 22 the next two games. I have him at 31 for this game. Uh, so, you know, and he's also contributing on special teams. He's on kickoff coverage. How many you got rush ends running down on kickoff coverage because he's six foot four and he can run. So, you know, that's not a guy I would want to see if I'm a blocker um, on, the, on the kickoff uh, return unit for an opposing team. I moving on for me, I have stock up on road game jitters. Obviously, USC was a little bit frazzled. For most of that game, the offense was just a little bit out of sync. We talked about this. I feel like we're throwing it back to the Oregon State podcast when we did on the car on the drive back, talking about how if you're just a little bit off with this high-powered, finely-tuned machine, everything is out of whack. And that's how it felt with this offense on on Saturday in Tempe. But again, their ceiling in this game was so much higher than it was against Oregon State into that very last drive, and Caleb was able to hook up with Jordan Addison for that go-ahead touchdown. Obviously, they were a little bit better in this game, so you can see the kind of the growth of the the floor of this team is a little bit higher in terms of their offense when they're a little bit off. Still put up five touchdowns, still put up 42 points. Most teams would kill for 42 points <laughs> on an off night. So just you, you just see, I don't know what it is about that fourth that fourth game for USC. Someone pointed out on Tunnel Vision that if you go back and look, Lincoln Riley's teams have traditionally traditionally struggled in the fourth game of the year. I'm not sure why. And you go back and look, a lot of them are like one score games and that's necessarily uh, not necessarily pushover teams, but teams they are favored against. One of them was the red river shootout. So we're not counting that one. That was the COVID year because it's the red river shootout, but yeah, it does seem like that fourth game of the season for whatever reason, it just, just a little, little off for Lincoln Riley and his offense. So, you know, you're hoping, you know, they they got that one out of the way and moving forward, they can be a buzzsaw moving on. Because remember, when they went to Utah, they were firing on all cylinders despite that environment. So you, you hope that they'll they'll get it going after this this week. But yes, uh, stock up on the road game jitters for USC in this one. I'll take the easy one. Stock up on Marshawn Lloyd. One, he gets his first start. Um, so he's kind of moved in front of Austin Jones. He got the the vast majority of the reps. It was not something that was split 50-50 in this game. And he made the most of it. He was he was balling out there. I mean, he was shaking dudes out of their sh- uh, shoes. I mean, the one uh, was a 40-something yard run where he gets a, gets goes up the middle kind of and sees that there's a hole uh, or some room outside. Hey, there's a, def- a safety coming up. Shakes the guy out of his shoes. He's like diving. Looks like he's playing, uh, you know, he's trying to – to do a, a skydive from a plane or something. That's how, you know, he was just perpendicular because he had got juked out of his shoes and he takes it 40 something yards. So Marshawn Lloyd was fantastic in this game. Um, he can do a little bit of everything for USC, you know, as far as catching the ball and running the ball, you know, we haven't seen him actually do too much in the passing game the last couple of games, but we know it's there and that's something that's super enticing but no one brings him down on first contact. I think that's the most important thing for him. So when you get in those situations where it's short yardage, you're going to say, hey, put zero, get the, put the ball in zero's hands and let him go to work. And you kind of wondered why USC didn't do that a little bit more on some of the opportunities they had because he was rolling so much. And Lincoln Riley even admitted, he said, you know, we, we rode him pretty hard, but, you know, when you look back at it, you probably could say we could, could have done it even more. 
And, you know, there's always that balance of, you know, with a running back, do you want to use – how much do you want to use them, especially earlier in the season? But, I mean, when someone's cooking like that, I think you got to get the ball in their hands in different ways if need be to to give them an opportunity to to continue. I think it was 154 yards rushing in that game. So, um, I didn't look that up. Do you know if that's a career high there, Chris, Warren? I believe it is. I can double check that for you. But the most impressive stat also with that with with his performances, he only had negative two rushing yards. They only had him for a loss once. So if you if you look at that game, he was just picking up huge chunks and chunks and chunks. Obviously, I had I had him uh, Dematha graduate on my stock up as well. And this felt like the game where it's like clear as day. Number zero is your number one running back. He is RB one. And the offense just looks so much different when a guy with that elusiveness and speed and strength is, is in there. So he he's becoming a vital, vital piece of this offense and showed how much how deadly this offense can be when it's full when it's running on full cylinders with Marshawn Lloyd and Caleb Williams on the same page. They obviously weren't on the same page for that fumble in the first quarter. But, yeah, he 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 uh, he uh, made up for that in a big way with his his big night in uh, Tempe. Third career 100-yard game, not his career high, actually. He had 169 yards against Charlotte. So, you know, a little okay. bit better defense against Arizona State than Charlotte. Well, there you go. So, yeah, he was definitely on mine. I had stock up on sack celebrations. There was just so <laughs> many going on. There, Obviously, Solomon Bird is the most uh, uh, visual of his celebrations. He does, like, the mask thing. But there were so many. You know, you had the crane dance. Uh, Jamal Muhammad loves a, a good finger wag. Stanley and Solomon, I witnessed this. I put it in my ghost notes. They like spit in their hands and then handshaked. They shook their hands. It was like a blood oath or something like that. <laughs> so they were just breaking out all these different uh, celebrations uh, going on. And obviously eight sacks, which Keeley looked up. Shout out to Keeley. It was the most they've had since 2009 shotgun. I was graduating high school the last time uh, USC had eight sacks in a game. So very impressive. Obviously, a lot of those were were kind of late in the game where you knew uh, Drew Pine was going to drop back and they had to make plays in the passing game to to kind of catch up and have a chance to, to score. So USC could pin their ears back and get after him. But still, to be able to get eight sacks in his game is impressive. So Sean Nula and that defensive line showing that they are much improved and better than they were in 2022, at least deeper as well. Yeah, and that's the that's the thing. To, the biggest takeaway from that is that seven of those came in the fourth quarter. Um, so, and it's not necessarily there was garbage time in that regard, but it's when it was it was the time. opportunity for them to pin their ears back, and they knew. Now, a couple times Arizona hit them earlier in the game on third longs. They hit them with some run plays, uh, so that's something they had to clean up a little bit as well to you know the integrity of their rush lanes. But that shows you what they can do if they can get teams in those third and long, those have to pass situations, whether it is, hey, you got a lead or, hey, it's just third and 15 and they got to throw the ball or it's in the, in the half type of thing. When they get in those situations is when they're at their best. Um, and, you know, a lot of those was not bringing a ton of extra pressure. Attack at Curtis came on a couple of, of those as blitzes, but some of those were he's coming, but someone else is dropping out. So kind of zone zone looks, uh, zone pressures and whatnot. So, you know, it's just the the front four is able to get there. And I didn't think Barry Alexander had a great game, but he got his first sack. 
Um, and he continues to be a menace. He cre- helped create that uh, the interception from Kalen Bullock. Um, he wasn't as impactful, I think, as uh, consistently impactful as he has been in some of the other games. But still, you know, if you, you get a sack, you're getting a couple of – I think he had uh, another tackle for loss as well, and you're helping create an interception. I mean, I, what more are you really asking for from your nose tackle uh, the way he's been so disruptive so far this season? But I have a, a different defense tackle, actually, on my stock up. is Dejon Bitten. Now, you may say, what did Dejan Bitten do in this game? It's not necessarily that he did a ton in this game, but it's the that he got the opportunity. He has moved in front of some other guys and got, you know, a decent amount of snaps in this game. So, um, you know, when you compare him, he was one of the guys that when they were in more of a pass rushing situation, he was a guy they're turning to over Keon Bars, over Stanley Taufu. You know, he's coming in beside Bear Alexander, um, even over Jack Sullivan. You know, so he's a guy that is getting those opportunities because he can get to the quarterback, so stock up for him. And, you know, that kind of balances with one of my stock downs, which is Keon Bars did not see much of him in this game. Stanley Taufu got the the start. Keon Bars did not play much in this game. Uh, I believe it was something like seven, eight, nine snaps total. Uh, So that's a little concerning for his development because I think he can be a big difference maker for this team and you need to find a way to to bring out the best in him so that he can play beside Barry Alexander because I think that's the best combination of the ceiling at least the ceiling uh potential there but Keon Bars hasn't done a ton this season and Stanley Taufu has done a little bit more so they're rewarding the guys that are making plays and apparently the guys that were making plays in practice during the bye week as well quick addition on your bear Alexander Spiel right there it wasn't his strongest game, but definitely obviously had impact. Go back. I put posted the field highlights uh, last night. Go back and watch the play on that. Kalen Bullock has the pick. You know, he obviously influences that. He comes out of nowhere. I'm watching the screen. And he just flies in out of nowhere, like a bat out of hell to just enough influence on Drew Pine to make him to make him, uh, you know, throw that ball to where Kalen Bullock leaps out of his, his shoes to get it. So go back and watch the field highlight view of it. He comes out of freaking nowhere. It, it scared me on the viewfinder. Yeah, he was just flying. He like he he saw that the quarterback was rearing back, and he just basically laid out for it, which shows the effort that he's giving as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the rough in the passer call was not a great call. Uh, he also had a hit on Drew Pine early in the game, though he was called for false start. I mean, uh, offsides on it. Um, as he tried to jump the snap a little bit there, but getting to the quarterback, making an impact. He still he had five tackles in this game, one and a half for loss, including the the sack as well. So it, you mentioned he flew out of nowhere. Kalen Bullock flew out of nowhere to get that pick. I was trying to shoot the you know the the play as it's happening, and I was like, whoa, where did he come from? Where did this guy come from? And just skied for that one, just showing off the athleticism. Everyone was flying uh this is my last stock up i have stock up cotton bowl brendan rice because brendan <laughs> rice obviously put on a show in the cotton bowl several months ago in that stadium uh, uh historic performance and we said after the game like hey if you get games like this out of brendan rice for 2023 he's gonna go up there in the draft not saying first round but he's gonna be a a good pick and usc's offense is gonna be that much more dangerous and they're looking for a new number one and Brendan Rice obviously could be that guy if he's playing like he did in the Cotton Bowl and we got Cotton Bowl Brendan Rice you know 133 yards two touchdowns just some of the biggest plays in the game the one on fourth and seven and then one late there in the second half to him and Caleb just have a growing connection so to see Brendan Rice to to come home 
in Arizona and do that against the Sun Devil Sun Devils. I know that was a big, big game for him. Obviously, it's going to be a double homecoming week to week as he's going back to Colorado, his first team. So you're hoping Brendan Rice has another kind of homecoming game like he did on Saturday. He was a huge part of this win for that offense. Yeah, and he scored in every game so far this season. He's got, you know, he came in with three touchdowns and five catches to to start the season. This game, seven catches, 133 yards, two touchdowns, a couple plays over the middle. You know, he just he knows how to stay alive and go find that area with Caleb Williams. Uh, you know, and if you haven't guys haven't checked out, make sure you check out our tunnel vision where we had him. You know, a one on one interview with. Brendan Rice with the site uh, was some really interesting things in there as well. You know, the son of, of Jerry Rice, but making a name for himself with some big time plays. I mean, just sky and on fourth and fourth and seven. Hey, you know what? Let, let's run that intermediate route. Now let's, let's chuck it deep. Arizona state was trying to sit on the, the sticks and they said, you know, we got, we got the look we want. We're going for it. Caleb throws it up. Brendan Rice gets by the DB leaps up, uh, makes a big catch. And got some great, great shots of that one. So I was excited about that play uh, because of the photos. Different wide receiver. I got Taj Washington. It feels like all he does is catch touchdowns this season. I mean, he's got four touchdowns. He's only got ten catches. Um, he just, he just always is making a good play. But also, this was the first game where the second half was close. So it was going to be interesting. All right, who do they really trust? Who are the guys that are going to be in the game? Taj Washington only had one catch. But he played the majority of the second half. Now they rotated early, you know, early in the game. It was basically a kind of a rotation of when they would go four wide, they would want Zachariah Branch and Mario Williams both in the game together, and then your outside receivers. And then when they went with a tight end, they would bring in Taj Washington. So he was basically in all, pretty much uh, when the tight end would come in. Now there's some exceptions to that, but that was kind of the the rule. Second half, he played almost every snap until the final, uh, you know. Throughout the actually looking at my my chart, he played all but one snap until the final kneel down drive, and I, I haven't charted that one yet. So, um, you know, he was the guy they're going to turn to. He's the guy they trust. That's the reliability. Mister Reliability is what we called him this offseason. And when push came to shove, and it was a close game, he's the guy that they put in. Not Mario Williams, not Zachariah Branch. Those guys were in and out a little bit, but Taj Washington was on the field every single play. At some point, I was like. We haven't heard Taj Washington's name all night. And then sure enough, they're like, okay, this is the drive. We need this touchdown to go up to. Let's put Taj Washington. And sure enough, boom, touchdown. Because that's all he does. He just scores touchdown, like you said. So put him in 45. My my night is done. It's an easy, it's an easy <laughs> night. Going home. Gonna go get some water burger. We're done. Let's go. Yeah. Texas and that native. Was- and that was the the you know the final real play for the offense. They were trying to you know pick up yards. Uh, so you know just wait to the very last play. Give it to me. I'll take it into the house. Um, he did. He, you did hear his name called on the touchdown that was called back for Zachariah Branch, uh, the offensive pass interference. And some people may be wondering, oh, you know what he what he do wrong there? Actually, he did nothing wrong. That was actually on Zachariah Branch because he ran the route too deep. You got to run that route. Uh, shy of the line of scrimmage so that the, the wide receivers downfield can still block. That is, that's why they run that play. They've run in a, a lot of different variations, but Zachariah Branch, they used him actually as an H-back, and he got a little bit too far down. I think it was two yards downfield. Got to catch him behind the line of scrimmage. Dorian Singer was also blocking over there, so he could have been called for the same penalty. Uh, but, you know, freshman mistakes, and that's uh, the difference. And that's the difference between three points and seven points. Or actually on that drive, that's the difference between – uh, seven points and no points because, or, or actually, which was that the one that they 
went for fourth down, or that was the, the next drive, actually. So, yeah, the difference between three points and seven points when you, you make a mistake like that on the goal line. So a big 15-yard penalty pushed USC back, and they weren't able to pick it back up. So those are things, as the season progresses, your freshmen got to continue to get better. And USC's played their primary freshmen a ton. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, with those guys, if there's any of those freshman mistakes when you get in those big-time games a little bit further down the schedule. My last one was uh, long-distance fireworks, Chris. Because this was the first time, and we've seen, kind of felt like we've seen one big aerial assault per game, whether it be the Brendan Rice 75-yarder or whatnot. This game, it felt like, especially the second half, USC was like, all right, they're trying to play everything up close. Let's take some more shots downfield. And they were able to capitalize, you know, with multiple you know, big time plays uh, of over 20 yards in the air. Also, Marshawn Lloyd had a couple of really nice runs, the 43 yarder, like we mentioned earlier. So, some big time fireworks from the offense. You know, it's as herky jerky as it kind of felt, and the struggles getting the play calls in. I think Ryan kind of described it as when they got the play in, they ran it, things went well for them almost all the time. The trouble was everything pre-snap, getting that figured out. So um, besides the the botched uh, handoff attempt, the offense was just cruising pretty much the, the majority of the night, except for those red zone opportunities. So that's actually where I'll start my stock down is the red zone. They got to clean some stuff up there. Uh, this is the first time that they, you know, they came in, I think it was something like 14 out of 15 times in the red zone. They scored a touchdown, something ridiculous like that. Now it's like 16 out of 19, still a really good number, but not to this, the the standard they had set the first couple of games. So some things that need to be cleaned up a little bit there. Uh, and I, I wouldn't be too worried about that. You know, it's Lincoln Riley in this offense, but just, you know, going back to the jitters and just being a little bit off, it, it's which is one of those games, the Oregon State game, and not being able to get in the end zone. So I, I wouldn't be too concerned about that. I think they'll go back. You're going to see a much cleaner red zone effort in Colorado, even though it is going to be another hostile environment, I think they'll be much better in the red zone than they were here in Tempe. My uh, stock down. Okay. Go ahead, go ahead. Okay. I had a stock down on Rajon Davis participation. Just a guy who obviously USC fans were super excited to see play this season, knowing what kind of athletic ability and talent that he has and what he flashed in the Cotton Bowl at the end of the year. They saw him get a start when the injuries were hit. He had those opportunities. And then come Tempe, Saturday, had zero snaps in the game. And is a it's a head-scratching move not to get him even a series. Just it, it, It's baffling that he did not have a single snap in this game. And, you know, obviously it was a game the USC defense – Struggled a little bit. The linebackers uh, were maybe the, or I wouldn't say maybe, I would say the the biggest struggling point of this defense, among other things. But to not have number nine in there at all is just a a bizarre thing. And I know Lincoln Riley did talk about it on uh, Trojans Live, Shaka, which you watched in depth. Yeah, and he basically said that hey, we want to keep those guys involved. Uh, you know, they they've been playing really well. He said that the the plan was not necessarily to play Mason Cobb full full stream, uh, but with the way the game played out, they wanted to keep him in there. And he mentioned how Mason Cobb, when he's in there, the communication part and some other things, but Mason Cobb didn't play great in this game, and Mason Cobb. He had one tackle. He was a tackling machine at Oklahoma State. So it, I don't know if it's 
that Mason Cobb is struggling with his defense or they're not putting him in the same type of situations as they were at Oklahoma State, but he's struggling to make an impact. It, you know, it was out for a couple weeks. It didn't do much the the very first game. Um, got out of his lanes, got, you know, the, the quarterback scrambles and stuff. This game, similar, he got out of his lanes a couple times. Uh, you know, he was just kind of no man's land on a couple of pass plays where it was misdirection. Uh, he struggled with some of the misdirection stuff. And then when you put him beside Tackett Curtis, who you're as a true freshman, you're expecting to make some mistakes. It, it's leaving a, a, a vacancy in the defense right now. So that's why it may. Yeah, it was I, I had stock down Rajon Davis inexplicably like he's it's inexplicable that he's on stock down after how well he had played the first couple of games. And maybe we're just not seeing the assignments that they're supposed to be doing. Maybe he's just performing and not com- completing his assignments, but still making plays somehow. Uh, but it was kind of baffling to not see him play a single snap. And Riley's full quote about you know the linebacker group, um, and we talked about Rajon. He said it's a room we we feel like we have a lot of great guys with. Guys like Rajon and Shane have played really well in other guys' absence, and we still want to keep those guys very involved. Well, very involved is not them playing on the bench and getting a couple special team snaps. That's not very involved in my mind. Now, maybe this was we got to find out what we have in Mason Cobb, and we should do it now versus when we play a team that has more athletes, like Colorado actually does on the outside. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know the exact reasoning for it. It was interesting that coming off an injury, and sometimes you think, okay, they'll ease them in. No, that wasn't the case at all. He played pretty much every snap. I'll have to check in a minute. But, yeah, that was that was uh, kind of surprising the way it played out. And I don't think Lincoln Riley really gave a, you know, a, a full answer that really tells us anything um, in his Trojans Live uh, interview that he had. Playing Mason Cobb for, it was like 74 snaps, which I believe is the most on the defense. Playing Mason Cobb for 74 snaps. Coming off a soft injury injury is just soft, crazy. Soft tissue injury. Tissue soft. What yeah, what did I say? Soft injury. Soft <laughs> tissue injury is just crazy to me. Crazy to me. And again, he hasn't played a lot. And one of the knocks on him out of Oklahoma State was that sometimes he would be in the wrong position. But the thing about him, he was so good at making the play, he would just get the tackle anyway. So that was something that you know you hope they could clean up. But now it's just like he's not able to make the plays, you know, one tackle, and he's being out of position or over pursuing the play or, or, or I, I don't know. I don't know what the disconnect is. If it's the defense or it's the coaching or, or what have you, he's rusty. It's just, it's just not working right now with that linebacker room. Yeah, it's definitely something that has to be cleaned up. He played, he played every single defensive snap. So, you know, he didn't come out. They rotated at the other spot with Eric Gentry and Tackett Curtis. So then the question becomes if Lincoln Riley says it's about communication, hey, th- he said he said that things run more smoothly when Mason Cobb is in there. And, you know, he mentioned how the linebackers are kind of the go-between for the entire defense and kind of getting the call and getting everybody line, that type of thing. You got to figure out how to get either Rajon Davis or Eric Gentry up to speed to be able to do the same thing. I mean, I, that's the next thing that, that comes to mind is that if that's part of the reason why you're keeping Mason Cobb in there, then you need one of those two guys to take the step up. I, I'm not going to put it on a freshman to be the mic and make all the calls for the for the linebackers and whatnot, but either Eric Gentry or Rajon Davis, if that's your explanation, that needs to happen. That needs to be, you know, it needs to be pushed forward that someone can be rotating with Mason Cobb 
as a, you know, as his backup and, you know, filling in rather than the three or the two man rotation they had at the wheel spot opposite of Mason Cobb. Um, so, you know, that's, it, yeah, like I said, it, it was very surprising that Rajon Davis was not part of the rotation at all. You know, Shane Lee not getting in there wasn't a shock just because at the beginning of the season, he didn't get any run when there were four healthy guys. So with four healthy guys, I wasn't shocked at that, but I was shocked that Rajon Davis. And it's interesting because, and this may be a Brian Odom thing. We don't know for sure since we don't get to talk to, you know, all the position coaches, but there still are rotations at other positions. And Hey, I guess you're still, you're still rotating at the, you know, at the will position, but you know, the first couple of games or the last couple of games at linebacker, they rotated four guys and they've trimmed that down to three. Some of the other positions, you saw just as much rotation as you've had in the past uh, in, in the past three games. So it, it was a little bit surprising where they talked about, Hey, we're going to shrink those rotations. And it didn't necessarily happen at some of the other defense positions. I have a uh, stock down. I know you mentioned you had stock down here, so we'll probably uh, combine on this one. I had stock down on uh, Keon bars. He per, per, per pro football focus, but I only subscribe to shotgun participation numbers. He had nine, snaps in this game which was a season low and you know obviously Keon Bars coming in rolled in the spring uh, starter at uh, Arizona a guy who made it on second team all Pac-12 list we had a lot of high expectations for him and then pairing with Bear Alexander you know that's a great that's a great combo uh, your big your big defensive tackles uh, defensive tackles those tackles but Keon Bars hasn't been what we've expected so far but for him to not get get less than to get single digit snaps in this game was just very weird to me, and I don't remember seeing him a lot. Obviously, I'm watching through a lens, but for him to not be an impactful part of the the game uh, in the road here was just uh, very weird to me. And it seems like you know maybe other guys have been because as you mentioned, Dejon Benton played a lot in this game seems like maybe other guys are moving ahead of him, which is, is just a – it's not what I would have expected going through the season. Yeah, and the interesting thing is that he basically replaced Barry Alexander. So he had been playing beside Barry Alexander earlier in the season. In this game, his nine snaps were the nine snaps that Barry Alexander didn't play through the, the first three quarters, basically. The last snap of the third quarter – Dejon Benton actually subbed in for Bear Alexander instead of Keon Bars. But that also tells you his nine snaps all came in the first two quarters and the first two drives of the third quarter. You know, when it came down to crunch time and when the defense was playing its best, now part of that is they want more pass rusher than a run stuffer, um, you know, when they're making a sub for Bear Alexander in that fourth quarter. But he didn't play at all in the fourth quarter. So, yeah, it was definitely a surprise. But the, I think the the biggest surprise there is that he wasn't playing beside Barry Alexander. He was playing – he was his backup. So, you know, that's it, it's something to definitely we're going to keep an eye on because they don't want to take Barry Alexander off the field. Um, it, you know, as much as they they can keep him on the field, they want to. They'll play as many snaps as it, basically as he can handle because he's been such a monster. But it was interesting that, you know, that that was the change that was made during the bye week was that – Barry Alexander and Keon Bars are going to be combined. They're going to be subbing in for each other. And the interesting thing to me will be, is that something they're preparing that, hey, we want to impact guy in there at all times at the nose tackle uh, because that's where Bears played most of his snaps. And 
So maybe we want to put Keon there at the same position so that we can sub bear a little bit more with the with the grind of the season coming up, you know, with the with the stretch that they have. So that may be something. So maybe that was just a hey, this is a precursor and we'll see his his snap count kind of grow and they'll you know be able to bring bears back a little bit. I don't know. That's um it definitely was surprising to see how little he was out there. Now uh, another thing, another factor that could have played into it was that Tyrone Tolini did come back. Now he didn't play a ton of snaps. He only played, I think, six, uh, and it was in for two different little small sets of time. But that's an extra body that you're adding to the mix. So maybe that had something to do with it as well. But yeah, definitely surprising that Keon Bars didn't play uh, a ton there. I had stock down on you mentioned the road game jitters. I had road game prep. You know, they talk about how, hey, we listen to crowd music or crowd noise all the time at practice. It it didn't seem like it. You know, it, it didn't, you know, it, it looked like they were flustered by it. And whether that's the the operation of getting the play in, getting the play to Caleb, transmitting it to the rest of the players, checking with Lincoln Riley, getting the checks, and then making the checks with Caleb was was struggling. There were so many times that they were consistently, you know, down within single digits on the on the game clock. And then, you know, I, I thought it was interesting because I thought it, I felt like it got cleaned up in the second quarter. So you felt like, you know, they had all the false starts and stuff in that first quarter. It seemed like it got cleaned up. But then once you got to the third quarter, they had a burn. They burned two timeouts in the first, I think, five or six minutes of the second of the third quarter. Uh, and if this game would have been a little bit closer late, you've been looking at that with a lot more emphasis after the game. If you don't have any timeouts going late because you burned them because you couldn't get a play play call in. And even one of them, one of the timeouts was on a first down play coming out of it. They kicked off. There was a timeout, TV timeout, kickoff. Uh, I think actually, I think there was a TV timeout coming out of the kickoff, if I remember correctly, one way or the other. But, you know, there's a TV timeout. So you have time, you know, with, whether there's a kickoff in between or not, but you have time to figure out what play exactly you want. And they get, don't get out there in time and get the playoff. That's just, you know, they had to call a timeout. So that was. That was very bad. That's something that has to be cleaned up. And I don't know exactly what it is. And maybe it's because uh, Caleb Williams has so much more freedom now that Lincoln Riley trusts him and says, hey, you know, we're going to do, we'll trust your calls as well as that. And maybe now you got to pull the reins back a little bit on Caleb and say, hey, we can't check every single time. We got it. Sometimes we just got to go with it. I don't know, you know, but it's got to be something that gets cleaned up because you're going to go into another hostile environment this week at Boulder. But then think down the road when you play at Notre Dame, when you play it in Eugene, you know, you don't have the, you don't have room for error to have to burn an extra timeout uh, to, I mean, look at Notre Dame. You would think they wish, wish they had a timeout at the end of that game. Yeah. So if you have a, you know, you're in a close game, like they were just in with Ohio state and now you got 10 guys in the field, but you don't have a timeout. So if you're burning one because you can't get a play call in, that could be the difference in a, in a win or a loss. So those type of things where there's such a small uh, room uh, margin of error that y- you can't be having that, those type of mistakes on the road to be able to win. So those are things that definitely have to be cleaned up. And again, it's the first road game. So, you know, new offensive line or different offensive line from last year, new guys on the outside in some places. They'll get it figured out, but it, it was definitely very reminiscent of Oregon State last year, where it was kind of herky jerky, and the play calls just were not getting in. And Caleb, you could see him him on the sideline actually getting frustrated as well uh, with the fact that he was trying to make these checks when there's two seconds left on the clock, type of thing. My final 
kind of stuck down, kind of combine them into two is the tackling and stopping Cam Scadabo. Just because I want to say the name Scadabo at some <laughs> point in this uh, podcast. So the USC defense kind of made him look like Christian McCaffrey at times out there. He was doing everything, was throwing the ball, almost had a touchdown pass. If he just connected a little bit better on that, uh, he, he had the guy wide open, just a little bit overthrown. Incredible run by him. I know a lot of people are talking super bad tackles, but let's give him a little bit of credit for staying on his feet to make that play. But the tackling felt like a big regression. And they've been okay through the first couple uh, games of the season. But then I believe it was 14 missed tackles. I think you you tweeted that out or someone mentioned that. Mm-hmm. 14, which is a season high. So it took a big step back in terms of tackling the kind of regressed to what we saw at the end of the year where you're kind of just launching a lot of shoulders. That's what Lincoln Riley said. A lot of guys looking for the big hit, which, as we know, is going to lead to some missed tackles and some big plays, first downs, drives continuing, so on, so on, eventually touchdowns. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It's actually uh, PFF has upgraded their their grading and given USC now 15 missed tackles. So they Ooh, added one okay. somewhere along the way there. Um, but uh, I, I had I, that was all I had on my list. But now that I'm looking at it a little bit, I would also uh, a couple quick ones. Solomon Bird, another really good game. Um, two sacks, strip fumble. I mean, that's more than a really good game. That's a fantastic game. But six more pressures for him. He's constantly been the guy off the or he's been the consistent guy off the edge. Jamil Muhammad has had some really nice pressure as well and Barry Alexander in the middle, but Solomon Bird has been a beast. I mean, he, he and Lincoln Riley has not been shy with his praise of of Solomon Bird, talking about how, you know, one, the injury that he had in the spring, the surgery they had to have that, you know, cost him the entire spring, saying that, you know, he really focused in this offseason and, you know, worked with the trainers, the nutritionists, do everything to make sure his body was right and just put in all those extra effort things there. So Solomon Bird, another really big game. And I thought Jalen Smith had a really nice game too. I mean, pop pop Scadabo for that that fumble. Um, did not give up a pass completion. He was kind of all over the place. It, it, you know, once again, just continuing to make some tackles. He did not, he was not charged with a missed tackle anywhere. So, uh, you know, I think he continues to be, he's the consistent in the, in the secondary. I think he's been really good for him. Um, I, probably their best DB. I mean, Kalen's got the, the interception, um, uh, but I, I think Jalen's been the most consistent of that entire group. Be clear, I thought you were talking about more stock downs, and I was like, damn, he's really stock downing uh Solomon Bird here. He had a great game. <laughs> he's like, uh, yeah, but so I did not pick up that it was over. That was my bad. I, I didn't, did I have... did not. That was not a clear. I, I should have uh, referenced that. Uh, but as I was looking at the missed tackles, I noticed those two guys kind of at the top of, of the PFF grading, and I was like, oh, yeah, these guys were great too. I should have mentioned them at least. I did have one more quick stock up to add I thought Christian Roland Wallace came in and played really well at times during this game I haven't seen the PFF grades for anything for him but I just remember watching and thinking he came in and he performed to his duty and had some some good moments so I, I would give a little bump to Christian Roland Wallace the uh hated by Arizona State fans I, <laughs> I assume I assume as the former Wildcat so came in I thought he played a uh, played pretty good I mean, according to, to PFF, he was thrown at 10 times and you know, had a, he gave up five receptions for 31 yards. So that's really good. I had him for eight. Um, I had him targeted eight times and, you know, for two completions for 18 yards or 19 yards. So uh, a little bit different than PFF. And well, who's, who's to say it's correct there? I don't know. Uh, because sometimes it's correct. 
Shotgun is good. Wow. Well, we'll go with that. But I mean, if he's target, if he gives up two catches for you know for 19 yards on eight targets, I think it's a fantastic game. Once again, I I don't really understand exactly what they're doing with him, and not as far as schematics or anything. I don't understand the rotation. This man has played almost every single second half snap this season. And I don't I don't really understand. Like there in the first half, there was a rotation between Damani Jackson, Sierra Wright, the starters. They had the first two drives. And then uh Christian Roller Wallace gets in there. They also throw Jacoby Covington uh, a drive. He gets his first drive in a couple of weeks because he was missed uh, missed a game. But once the second half starts, uh Christian Roller Wallace starts. And he played every single snap at cornerback. They rotated at the other spot with Damani and Sierra until Sierra gave up the touchdown. Um, and then he didn't play basically the rest of the game. So, you know, I, I don't know exactly what they're doing with him because even in garbage time this, this year, uh, it, when you're playing Nevada, you're playing San Jose State, and the game's out of hand, he's still the guy in there. And I, I wonder why you're not putting Damani Jackson in there to get him more snaps. Uh, but – the Christian Rolla Wallace has played something like all but like five of the second half snaps in this this season. So uh it, it's it's kind of baffling to me just that that he has when the second half comes on, he's the guy that's gonna be in there, it seems like the entire time. I do have a stock neutral and because oh I had oh I had a fan God. I had a fan who shouted me out on the sidelines when I was moving up and down. He said, and I quote don't let stock neutral nation die. <laughs> die. He looked into my eyes and said, don't let it die. And that inspired me. So I have a stock neutral on Dorian Singer. And again, it's not a full down. It's nothing like that. It's neutral. He only had one catch for 14 yards. I thought he would have a much bigger impact in this game. And, you know, it's been kind of a, a, a quiet start from only two touchdowns. Uh, no more than I had four catches, I believe, in the opener, and then two the next two weeks. And then one catch tonight is, is season low for 14 yards. I still think, I still know that Dorian Singer is a really talented wide receiver. I think he's going to have a game where he's going to go absolutely bananas uh, on some on some team. But right now I'm just playing on stock neutral because they're still trying to get it going. They're still trying to get it fully going with that Dorian Singer and Caleb Williams connection. Yeah, a little surprising that that hasn't, you know, hasn't popped off a little bit more with the opponents that they've had. They haven't maybe drawn up something in particular to get him, uh, kind of get him going a little bit. So we'll see if that does. You know, at Arizona last year, he was he was highs and lows for him as far as he would have really big games and then you know just not have much uh, of anything. And I think it's kind of similar with the receiving targets at both schools. Uh, where you know one game you can be kind of left out and the other game you can go off. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it plays out, but there's no such thing as stock neutral, Chris. Let's move on. Week five, USC heads to Boulder for an early morning affair. A 10 10 a.m. kickoff. Is that correct? Local time? 9 a.m. local time. 9 a.m. PT, baby. It'll be noon over here on the East Coast, which is where I'll be watching it from. So that means maybe I'll even finish all my work before before all the games are done. Who knows? Probably not. Uh, But chilling. Colorado uh, just coming off a terrible blowout loss to Oregon where they let Dan Lanning run his mouth and say whatever he wanted to because, hey, when, you, when you're when you up, what, 35 nothing at half, you can say whatever the hell you want. And uh, he did it before the game. 
He let the cameras in. He didn't say anything during the week, really. He let the cameras in for his pregame speech, though, and he said, hey, we're they're trying to get clicks. We're trying to get wins. It's This ain't a Hollywood. This, it's not played in Hollywood. It's played on the grass. And his boys went out and whooped up on Colorado. And all the things that we've kind of seen, you know, everyone's hyping up Colorado. We've seen some issues with in those first couple games. They really were exploited by Oregon. So can USC do the same thing? I think that's going to be the big question. Some definitely some interesting matchups. Start with the head coach. You got Lincoln Riley versus Deion Sanders. You got the quarterbacks, kind of uh, Lincoln Riley's second son, uh, Caleb Williams, or his, his se- he's the second father, or whatever. You know, they got that connection. And then Deion's uh, biological son, Shador Sanders. So uh, the quarterbacks will be super interesting as well. Chris, what stands out to you about this matchup with Colorado and how much luster is taken off? after what happened to them in Eugene. Definitely think this game has lost a little bit of luster, but again, we were expecting Colorado to lose against Oregon. Now I didn't expect maybe a 42 to six kind of blowout. Maybe they would have put up a little bit more of a fight and then Oregon kind of runs them out of Austin there by the end, but you know, 42, nothing. And then they finally get a touchdown at the end there. I believe they also mixed, missed the extra point. Point. I don't know if they attempted to go for two or they just missed the extra point, but just like insult to injury on that, that <laughs> ending. So it does lose a little bit of luster. It would have been obviously a top 25 matchup, but they got beat so bad. They just got kicked out of the top 25 club. So it's not a top 25 matchup for USC, but still the best record of a team they'll face so far through this, through the first half of the schedule. And obviously it is a sellout game. It's going to be rocking at Folsom Field. And that is a tight, intimate affair. Kind of reminds you of that Oregon State kind of feel. Obviously, it's very tight on the sidelines. I've never covered a game there, but I know you cannot get across on the other side. So it's, it's going to be interesting navigating that. Shock, if you have any tips, throw them at me. So I'm, I'm wondering how they're going to come out and handle this environment. It's going to be 9 a.m. It's going to be loud. It's going to be bright. They're going to have the pressure of knowing that they're playing in a primetime slot. Everyone will be watching this game because it is Deion Sanders, because it is Lincoln Riley, probably the two most hated coaches in college football, especially from like a transfer marketplace in terms of, you know, taking uh, talent out of the transfer and building it that way. So a lot of people are going to be hate watching this game, hoping they, they tie or something. But I think one of the biggest for me, one of the biggest matchups is USC secondary versus the Colorado skill, because Colorado has a lot of talented wide receivers obviously there'll be no travis hunter in this game i was you're a little disappointed not to be able to get their top guy out there but this is going to be a big test for usc secondary because they have a lot of playmakers george sanders will be the best quarterback they have faced so far so this is going to be a big test for them obviously arizona or excuse me colorado's offensive line gives up a ton of sacks so maybe they're able to negate that pressure on uh usc secondary but they got a lot of weapons they need to find a way to stop and obviously we'll start with getting Sanders on the ground and not getting him, letting him get comfortable in his home stadium. Yeah, it should be super interesting. Uh, you know, some of the the matchups are, are going to be fun. Like I mentioned, you know, the head coaches, quarterbacks. But, yeah, I think you mentioned it. Uh, the, the secondary versus Colorado skill is the biggest concern for USC. And I don't think the secondary's played bad, but they haven't played great, I think would be the best way to kind of describe it. They've given up those catches, but outside of – one or two, it's not like they're wide open guys, and that's much more of a concern. They're giving up contested catches, 
they got to do a little bit better job of being in position to get their head around, to be able to react to the ball. Um, but they're right there. So can they clean those things up against and do it against better skill players than what they've been facing? That's going to be the question. I, I, I think the biggest advantage for USC is their defensive front versus that offensive line. The offensive line of Colorado is poo-poo. Um, they, they don't, they can't run the ball at all. They've struggled to run the ball. Um, even though they have a dynamic back, uh, well, Edwards, I believe is his Dylan name. Edwards, Dylan, Dylan Edwards. Dylan Edwards. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, he, he showed in the TCU game that if he gets loose, he can make something happen, but they have not been able to block for him. They've had a couple of injuries on the, the offensive line as well. I don't know exactly where they're at with that, but you know, USC should be able to get in the backfield. Now the question is, is USC going to have to send extra defenders to do that? Do they try to do that? And then, you know, you're forced to be man-to-man. Um, and there were a couple of busts in that Arizona State game. Looking at the, you know, rewatching the broadcast, there are a couple times where a good quarterback would have would have toasted USC. Um, so, you know, Shadur Sanders has done a really good job of keeping plays alive to be able to throw downfield, which means he also gives up some sacks because he, while he is – Mobile in the pocket, he's not a he's not necessarily elusive, uh, in the, not in the same way Caleb is or anything. So you know, I, I think that USC has all the advantage in this, but I think it's big for them. Can you go in there and take care of business early? Because they didn't do that against Arizona State. They had a chance. They're up um, early, and then they you know are up seven nothing, force a three and out. Basically, I think it was a three and out, and then get the ball back first play they fumble it to him and even then if you get a field goal it's still demoralizing to to them because it was almost a three and out there and on third and 10 they give up a 15 yard touchdown run and like now all of a sudden Arizona's like oh we got a chance we're live in the student section the touchdown ran right into the student section so they were hyped up and everything whereas if USC goes down and drives like they're capable of and takes a 14 nothing lead you know now suddenly everyone uh, in that student section starts going Hey, uh, we're going to Mill Street, or are we going to our house party? Like, where exactly are we going at halftime? You know, or do, do we want to wait to halftime? Maybe we can get out early before everyone else gets out, and we can get a good spot at the at the bar, or whatever. Like that would have been the conversation versus, oh, f uh, f the Trojans, f uh, USC, f UK Club, all the different chants that started with the letter F. Um, then you know they got into it and they got super pumped and they were alive and and going. Can USC go into Folsom and say, no, not today. It's going to be similar to Oregon. You know, and, and if you can tell the crowd that with the first couple of drives, then that'll send people heading to the exits. You know, that's just the way it is. They're like, I don't want to see this happen again. I was all in, all in. I'll wait until they play Arizona State next or something, and I'll get back on the hype train or whatever. Like, there will be, there will be people that are like, yeah, I got something better to do. I can go skiing today. I can go for a nice hike. It's only one o'clock now. USC's up twenty-one to three. Let's go and do something else. Um, so, can they do that this time? What they didn't do last week. I, I think that's a big thing to, to to keep an eye on. I think that'll be a big key for USC to be able to to win this game with these. I'm really interested to see uh, how that team Colorado responds after. Oregon because yeah. it can go one of two ways it could be like we got our ass kicked but we have a an amazing opportunity ahead of us we're playing in a primetime slot you got number eight USC top 10 team 
We're going to pack this place. We have an opportunity to show like, okay, yeah, we got our butts kicked uh, over there at Oregon, but we got one. We got a top 10 kill here with USC. Or are they just demoralized by how, I don't want to say fraud, but like, you know, they definitely overachieved in those first three games. And then it was like, okay, we played a big boy. Now we got another big boy. Is this going to be just another example of us getting run out of our own home stadium? So it, it could go one or two ways. Like they could have that doubt in their head after Oregon just ripped them apart like a piece of paper. And I, I'm just curious about what way I would say it's probably going to be more about Deion Sanders getting them pumped up and they'll, they'll be they'll be motivated for this game. But you always wonder about that self-doubt. You know, USC goes up quick early and it's like, OK, like you mentioned, like, I don't want to see this again. And the players are like, oh, God, we're in for another. We're not going to score into the fourth quarter again, something like that. So, yeah, I'm just curious about what kind of way this mentality coming off that that bad Oregon loss. Yeah, and it kind of depends on the players that are there. And because there's transfers from so many different places, you can't say, well, they haven't had success in the past. You know, if, if this was the same Colorado roster as last year, you'd be like, well, they haven't had success. So they're going to feel like, oh, whoa, whoa is me. Here we go again. And they'll kind of fall in that trap. I don't think that'll be the case because Deion Sanders is, if nothing else, is one of the best motivators in this world, probably. Um, he, he's a ter- terrific at promoting and also at, at motivating. And I think the players will be ready to go and they'll see this as an opportunity. And that's why it's so important for USC to kind of step on their neck early and take, you know, take control and you know, don't fall for every trick play. How about that? Because I think that's something we'll see in this game from Sean Lewis, the 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 offense coordinator who came over was the Kent State head coach. I mean, I think he's gonna have some tricks up his sleeve. So can USC take care of business? That's gonna be the big thing. And it's gonna it's gonna be tough going to the altitude, all those different things. Um, you know, how many snaps can Bear Alexander play at the altitude? You know, can he can someone else come in and wreck some havoc in the middle of the line? All those type of things. But USC, more talent and more depth. And that's something that I think you'll see from a lot of transfer teams, teams that try to overhaul through the transfer portal, is that they just don't have the depth. Uh, but I thought it was interesting um, that last week's game could be – is a good tool for them, for USC. You know, you got challenged. You needed that after three weeks of just beating up on people. It's good to get challenged uh, and on the road, and Lincoln Riley said that he said, you know, uh, Max Brown asked him a great question. Is said basically like, when you look back on it, are you kind of happy that it happened that way? You know, you didn't like the way things played out, but now do you are you happy that you can use that as the motivating tool that you can you know look at all those different things? And Lincoln Riley was like, yeah, yeah, actually, when you when you look at it that way, exactly, like you want to have one of those games where you win, you win by two touchdowns, but it's unsatisfying, and you know you got to clean up a bunch of stuff. So can they? take advantage of that and build off of it. Unlike, so I, I think that's going to be something that we'll be interested to see, you know, can you take the crowd out, all those type of things. And, you know, can USC, um, you know, can win, win this transfer, the transfer team battle. And I thought it was interesting. He, Lincoln Riley also said that uh, on Trojan Life, he said several coaches have kind of, he was asked about this. He said several coaches have actually reached out to him to discuss kind of what USC did last year how you overhaul a roster so quickly now with the transfer portal um, and how they, you know, the experience USC had. And he said, uh, yeah, a lot of guys have reached out and he said, yeah, all the guys I like, I told the truth. All the ones I didn't, I lied. Classic, classic. <laughs> he said it with a, he said it with a chuckle guys. It was a joke. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah. Might be true. Might be true, but uh, Chris, I would say, 
But just very quickly, what you said about, you know, playing in a game like that and kind of a wake up call when you're in a knife fight and you, you risk, you know, losing a game when you're like, we, we came close to losing that game. We, things go a little differently. We're, we're, we're leaving that. We're leaving the state with an L on our ledger. So yeah, it could be definitely a wake up call and a message like, Hey, let's not go through that again. Let's not go through that again. We don't want to dance in, in, in Folsom with this rocking crowd. The pressure's already there. This is USC is 16 and 0 against Colorado. 16 and 0. This will be the last time they play for a long, long time, I'm assuming. So I know they're eager to get that first win, that that monkey off their back of beating USC. So you have that extra pressure. You were in a knife fight, you survived. You don't want to get another one this weekend. Well, Chris, we're gonna move on. We're gonna take a break real quick and we're gonna come back. We're answer some people's questions. And then we'll see some take or leave it. And let's get out of here. Let's get ready. Get you out of here a little bit early because you have that early game to prepare for. We want to to set your schedule up a little bit better this week as well. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Helium Boys podcast, a serious, non-serious USC podcast. Make sure you guys are liking, subscribing leaving a five-star review, all those great things. We really appreciate it. Check out our sponsors and stuff as well from those commercial breaks. We appreciate everything you guys do to to contribute to our show and to also support us as well. That's why we love it when you guys send us questions. And we always ask for questions on Twitter. I ask for for some on Instagram, actually, for the first time. So we have a couple of those as well, this this show. But we got a couple of emails. So, Chris, we're going to start with the emails. First, we got Mike in South Jersey. He said, what up, what up, guys? Just finished listening to the podcast from uh, the bye week preview in USC's first row game. And I heard Shotgun say he's in South Jersey. I had no choice but to write in since I've lived here my entire life. He started talking about a South Jersey delicacy called a Panzerati, and he's never in his 31 years living heard of such a thing. 31 years living in South Jersey. Uh, he's uh, Well, Come on, Mike. We got to get on it. We got to get it. Yeah, let me know. We'll go on a lunch date for Panzerati's if that's what we need to do. But we got to make it happen. He also gave some food recommendations. Uh, He said none of these places will have a Panzerati or whatever you made up, though. So he loves the show. He appreciates all the work that we do. I'm going to check out some of these recommendations that he has as well. Uh, But 
Mike, I, I think we got to go on a Panzerati lunch date now. I think we got to make that happen. Chris, do you want to be involved? You know, we can we can stop at Wawa on the way if you need. Yeah, definitely loop me in that. When USC <laughs> goes to Rutgers, we'll make it happen. Make it a, a threesome mandate for Panzerati's <laughs> or any of these pizza places. Yeah, I'm down. I'm in. I'm in there. Uh, we have another question, also from New Jersey. Loving the New Jersey love over here. You know, I, I gotta, I gotta appreciate uh, the state they're of representing. Now. They're yeah. representing. They're coming out. They're coming out, and they're saying, "Hey, Shotgun's one of us now. We gotta support the podcast." And Jack has a couple questions, Chris. I'll let you take the first one. How did the number of missed tackles against ASU compared to most of the games last year? Well, as we mentioned briefly in our stock down, this was the most that USC's had all season. So it, it definitely uh, hit on the high side. Uh, PFF changed it from 14 to 15. So you're approaching 20 there. Uh, Shotgun probably has the other ones, but I, I don't think they've reached double digits in any of the other games, maybe 10 at the most, I believe off the top of my head, but this was definitely the most at around 14, 15, depending on which number you believe from PFF, their initial one or their updated one. We'll believe the updated one. So they're at 15. I believe last game against Stanford was 10. It was the first time they got to double digits. Last season, when they had more than, I think it was 13, they lost every game. Or they lost, excuse me, they lost their three out of their four losses came when they had at least 13 missed tackles. Mm -hmm. And the only one they won was Arizona. And that game was, you know, if you recall, was much closer than it needed to be. And part of the reason was because they missed some tackles and Dorian Singer went off. So, you know, I, I think it's definitely something to keep an eye on. Um, it is something that is a concern, you know, after seeing when Lincoln Riley talked about, you know, the fact that the missed tackles were the most disappointing thing for him is what he said in the, in the post-game press conference. And he actually said on Trojans Live, he said, when we wrapped up, we tackled great. When we didn't, it was 50-50. And by that he means, by not wrapping up, he means guys throwing their shoulder into um, a ball carrier rather than using their arms. You know, when you try to use your body as a missile rather than use your arms to pull someone down, that's what he's referencing. And Jack also asked, is Mario Williams leading the team in drop balls? It sure seems like it to me. According to PFF, he does have three drops this season, which is the most of anyone on the team. The team so far through four games only has been uh, docked for seven. So he has three of the seven. Two of them were in that game. Uh, you know, some people were saying he had three drops in that game. That throw over the middle wasn't on him. Uh, but yeah, just it's just concentration, really. You know, the both those throws that he dropped were balls in his hand. So you just gotta gotta make them. And we saw it in the second half, like I mentioned earlier, Taj Washington got all those reps. So and that may have been a you know in reference kind of to or in you know uh, in in reference to. Mario struggling in the first half. So, you know, the, I think that's something that needs to be cleaned up because they want Mario Williams to be on the field because he's a good blocker. He also is really good at helping diagnose what is happening. He and Caleb Williams and Cliff Kingsbury or and Lincoln Riley do a lot of discussing together. Like when you would think, oh, Caleb Williams is just going to talk to the quarterback coach or Caleb Williams is just going to talk to Lincoln Riley. Um, no, it's oftentimes Mario Williams is in that conversation and, and breaking down what he's seen as well. So I, I thought that I've always thought that was really interesting the last couple of years seeing him. He's often in those conversations with Caleb Williams. Gregory, did, uh, go ahead. I did want to add, if you want to email us a question at the helium boys, you can email us at podcast at uscfootball.com podcast at uscfootball.com. Just make sure you put in the header helium boys, shotgun and Chris 
whatever. You just make sure it's the Helium Boys podcast, and then it'll go to my inbox, and then I'll put it in our lovely docket. So thank you for sending in emails, guys. Awesome. Yeah, uh, forgot to mention that. Great recall right there, Chris. And thank you guys again for sending in those emails. We have Gregory want to know, is the defense good enough to beat Oregon and Washington if it continues to play similarly to Arizona State? I would say the effort that you saw against Arizona State, it's a mixed bag, but I would lean towards definitely not beating either of those two teams. I know it's, you know, road environment, home environment, but I would say it wouldn't get it done against uh, two really good offenses and two really good quarterbacks. I would agree with that. What what we saw against Arizona State won't be good enough. Um, you know, it just won't. Uh, because especially against Washington, Oregon, I still have some question marks about Washington, though, high flying. That offense is rooting and tooting right now. Uh, Matt Ramirez wanted to know, why didn't USC lean on the run game more versus Arizona State? They were running successfully. Could have helped mellow out the crowd. Real football reasons, Kayla freaking Williams at QB, and conspiracy theory, stat padding for Kayla's back-to-back Heisman campaign. Answers, please. We were asked this on Tunnel Vision, and if you really believe in the theory theory that Caleb was stat padding or they want to stat pad him, he would play more in the second half of USC's first three games of the season. You would have seen him, you know, throw a couple more touchdowns a little bit before they put Miller Moss in. I have this theory is that they just want the ball in Caleb Williams hands. He's the best player in college football. He is the reigning Heisman winner. You trust him the most. You want to put the ball in his hands because more often than not, Great things happen when you put the ball in his hands. So, you know, uh, what what is our one of our favorite movies? Uh, the Replacements. Uh, Shane Falco at the end. I want the ball. Winners always do. You put the ball in his hands. You make wins. I know Marshawn Lloyd was cooking. You know, I personally would have liked to see them run the ball a little bit more. But again, it's Caleb Williams. If you're giving it to Marshawn Lloyd, you're not putting it in Caleb Williams' hands. And I, I understand the frustration there because. Marshall Lowe was getting whatever he wanted on the ground. So I agree that I think they should have ran him a little bit more, but I see the value in obviously putting the ball in the best player in college football's hands. Yeah. I mean, it's a tough dilemma. You know, how do you take the ball out of a generational quarterback's hands when even if something is breaking down, he can then create something like he did on the Brendan Rice second touchdown. Like even if everything's not on schedule, he still can create magic. So it's hard to do that. But I think the situation of second and three after you pick up seven yards, okay, you don't run it. Well, you're averaging 11 yards, and they've stopped you for less than three yards maybe like three times on the game. Third and three then, if you've thrown it on second and three, third and three, got to run the ball, in my opinion. Like Give that offensive line the opportunity, let the big boys eat, and go run over somebody. Um, and I thought the, the offensive line was really good in the run game. And so I, I feel like they they earned the opportunity to have those chances. So I think situationally, I think there were opportunities there where it should have been um, not just looking at it as a whole game and saying, yeah, they should have ran it more. But there were certain – there were a couple times where it's like, just just give the ball in second and three or third and three, let Marshawn Lloyd make a play. Um, and then if you get third and one and you want to get tricky and run play action, then maybe that's a little bit different. But give him an opportunity first is what I thought. Damien Draco, I want to know, he watched an interview last year where Lincoln Riley said he tried everything possible to convince Thule to transfer, but Thule begged him and convinced him to stay. Based on this and his current assessment of the linebacks, do you think he's a bad talent evaluator on defense, or what's your take? 
I think this is a case of getting some names mixed up. He mistaken is not, identity. Mistaken identity. He is not. This this question is asking about Tuli Tuli Pelotu, but the interview he's referring to is not about Tuli Tuli Pelotu. It's about it's about Solomon Tuli Apupu. That is who he's talking about. That he's not talking about. You look at Riley's not talking about. He did everything in his power to make Tuli Tuli Pelotu. Transfer. No, Thule was one of the like rocks of this USC team, and he knew it was going to be crucial to his team. If anything, he's telling him, You have to stay, you have to stay. We're going to do all these great things. And shout out to Thule, who's balling out in the yeah. NFL right now, absolutely balling out, playing like a, a first round uh draft pick. Uh, but anyway, yes, he's referring to Solomon Tulia Pupu, the linebacker turned defensive lineman. And obviously, you know, Solo had a bunch of injuries, he had not played at all for USC. And that is a valuable scholarship, but he absolutely pushed Tuli Solo. I'm going to call him Solo. He pushed Solo <laughs> to the brink and telling him like, this is the things you got to do. If you want to be here, show me that you want to be here. And Solo rose to the challenge, put everything in into it. That's what Solo brings out of players. He's a super hard worker. He is a locker room guy. And obviously he had not played at all, but to see him be able to contribute as a, in his first year with Lincoln Riley. And obviously the knee injury is devastating for him, and I think he was going to be a big part of the rotation this year. But his hard work, he was a character guy, a locker room guy. That's why he was given the opportunity to stick around and see what he could do, and he did end up being able to contribute. But he was talking about Solomon Tulipupu, not Tulipulotu. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to partly ask that so that Chris could go back and forth between the names, but also I wanted to point out that Tulipupu now I got messed up. Yeah, now you, yeah, uh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's on me. Tuli Tui Pelotu with had, I believe it was 10 pressures in the game uh, on Sunday. And that's the second most. I thought he I had nine. Was, I think he had 10. And it's the second most of any rookie. I don't know since whenever they've been doing pressures in the last 10 years or whatever, but uh, behind Nick Bosa, um, because I think Nick Bosa had 11. But also, big brother. Marlon Tuipolotu with a sack tonight on Monday Night Football, since we're recording this late on Monday night. Uh, so congratulations to the, the Tuipolotu family. Doing great. PSB Flow said, on a scale of 1 to 10, how worried are you about Saturday's performance? 10 being the most worried you could ever be. Sure. 1 being a... Brushing the shoulder no, off. The- yeah. Um. I would say, are we talking about the whole thing or just defense? I assume we're talking about the whole. About Saturday's performance. I would say six, six. I'm at a six right now. Ooh, that's a little bit higher than me. I think I'm at like a four. Okay, that's fair. I'm going to give them one game, road game. Um, There are some concerns for sure. But I also liked a lot of things that happened in the game. I mean, the explosives on both sides, I think you can. You know, depending on your lens, you can look at it and be like, you can be excited about things that came out of that game. Uh, though most fans, that's not their lens. So uh, I'm, I'll leave it at a four. Now, if they come back and the, they have the same performance this week and win by the same amount, then, you know, that's when my concern meter goes up. I'll give you one game where you, you get by on the road. I mean, think of all the Pete Carroll teams going to Oregon State and, you know, or Arizona State or Arizona and games that like you felt like they should be dominating and struggle with it. So, um, the mall, the M A L, I don't know exactly 
how it was, but he said, question for the podcast, practically speaking, what can be done to fix the defense? It's obviously an issue and will likely remain so. What's the perception of the issue among the staff and how to address it? I think the biggest thing you can kind of point to with scheme is maybe the complexity of it. I heard someone texted me about this, especially with the linebackers, about them being kind of out of position. He thought maybe that what's being asked of them is too complex. It's not simple enough. And that's why they're making all these mental mistakes and not just playing football. So I think, again, I don't know how complex the system is or kind of what they're being asked to do. I've heard people say defensive players have said, you know, it's very impressive what Tackett is doing to come in and play early in this system. And they made it sound like there's a lot to, to learn in this system and it is complex. So maybe it's just simplifying it more. To, so they can kind of think less and not get put in bad positions. And, and I don't know if it's possible, but I mean, the biggest thing that needs to be fixed to me is the linebacker play just in general. So is it possible if it is super complex, can you simplify just the linebacker portion of it? Because your DBs, you got experienced guys pretty much across the board outside of Damani Jackson, as far as in this defense, you know, all those guys have played, you know, snaps. And on the defensive line, you're causing a ton of havoc, and they're not having to create a bunch of – they're not doing a bunch of games and stunts and stuff up front um, all the time. They're being able to get there with just straight pass rush. So it's on the linebacker position to me. So it's cleaning up the linebacker position, and if that is what's needed is simplifying it, then I, I think if that's possible, if you can just simplify one position – in this defense and keep whatever else the other complexities are, then, you know, that would be an answer for me. And we got a couple of rapid fire here from our, from the Instagram question I put out. Um, and several of them are about the defense. So we'll, we'll just go through them real quick. Several. Ramirez want to know where is Shane Lee? I don't think Mason Cobb has learned the defense enough to be starting. And that kind of goes back to what we just talked about, but Chris, where is Shane Lee? Well, you had already mentioned that, you know, you weren't surprised to see Shane Lee not play much in this game when you have four healthy linebackers did not play early in the year. He is just a deep reserve right now. He's obviously a team captain, very valuable, but I would say we're not going to see much of him unless there's injuries again to the linebacker unit. And then USC rules uh, wanted to ask, had multiple things he wanted to say. One, he said, Marshawn Lloyd needs at least 30 carries every game. He needs to be featured more. Chris, when's the last time a, a running back had 30 carries per game? Oh, I don't know. The 1930s when they won, <laughs> ran a single back? No, it's definitely not that. But I I don't know. I yeah, maybe that, find it for you. That's later. not going to happen. They're not going to do 30 carries a game. Uh, if he gets to 20 carries, that's would be a significant number. Uh, you also want to know, does Mario Williams need more work on the jug machine, Tyler Vaughn style? Um, if you're going with jug machine, I would go with Amon Ross St. Brown as your as your metric of wanting to be have someone on there. And he said, what has Cobb done to earn his playing time? As I said earlier, you know, Lincoln Riley mentioned when he's in there, the communication is much smoother um, as far as, you know, getting everything in and get going. So I, I don't know if that's the answer, uh, but, you know, they were really impressed with him during the offseason, during the spring. He earned that captainship. So 
Uh, I think those are the things that you have to kind of look at because uh, on the on the field he just hasn't performed yet. But also coming off an injury, we'll see what he does, look, how he looks this week. Hopefully he's making some strides and getting better as week after week. He also said so happy for Romello making an impact. Had to be tough sitting a year out, and of course it's always tough to be you know when you're 21 years old, 20 years old, and you're in the what you think is the prime of your life, the prime of your career, and you suffer a season in the injury, you had to sit out. So, yeah, definitely tough there. And it's great to see him back and it makes some uh, plays. And then uh, Rakshan wanted to know, when will Grinch be fired? Chris, do you have that uh, exact time and date? I think it's time to move on to take it or leave it. I'm not <laughs> handling Alex Grinch fired questions at this time. Other people want to know why isn't Rajon playing and where the heck was Rajon and Lee? And we've already answered those guys. But thank you guys so much for for responding to the prompt on Instagram. We'll try to do that again next week as well. So we'll give you guys just another uh, location to try to submit your questions as well. You can always reply to on Twitter, DM us, PM us on the on the P, or send us an email as well. You can also send us take it or leave it, right, Chris? No, actually, I had a bunch of people send take it or leave it for this episode. So I have just a few and some I've uh, erased out because people have asked kind of similar take it or leave it that I was going to ask you. So, yeah, we have a a good amount of take it or leave it to throw at you, Shaka. We're approaching close to double digits, but we're not there yet. But maybe one day. I'm, I'm excited. Let's go. Okay, number one, Caleb Williams has his season-high rushing yards against Colorado, which has a terrible run defense. Mm, Leave it. I think they will save his legs for when they need them. And then I think he'll get his season-high when it's more designed runs. Similar to maybe the Pac-12 championship game plan that looked like they were going to have against Utah, where he was going to be featured it seemed like pretty heavily as far as the, the option keepers and stuff, the read option keepers. Going back to my boy, Dennis Lynch shotgun, take it or leave it. Dennis Lynch will hit at least three more 50 yarders this year. Ooh, Chris, three more. I'm going to leave it. It just feels like a lot, especially with how dynamic this offense is. And the fact that through four games, he's only got three attempts uh, at field goals. So, you know, are they only kicking when it's over 50 yards nowadays? No, I mean, I'm taking it. So right. I know this isn't, this isn't my take or leave it portion, but my last one this weekend, Colorado, and I'm kind of framing this as this is going to tell us kind of what we need to know about this group, but this will be the make or break game for the secondary. No, leave it. Washington is definitely the make or break game. If they play well against Washington, I I think that that, you know, and and the secondary can continue to get better as the season progresses, but like that will be super impressive. Whereas do it against Colorado, that's good. But I don't think Roma Duze is anyone's comparing to him on that uh, Colorado roster. I mean, if Travis Hunter was playing. Oh, that's true. Anyone that's going to be playing on Saturday, how about that? And let's Lacerated not rule out. Let's liver. not rule out Travis Hunter just yet. Just because they said he's going to be out for a few weeks, uh, the kid's a he, the kid's a superstar. Never know. Uh, I kind of had this weird feeling going into the week, like uh, maybe, 
makes or maybe it's a decoy. I don't know. Maybe yeah, they put out that that tweet about or that post about uh, Dion saying he uh, texted him. He's like, I really want to play. I got to play this week. And he's like, no, you can't play this week. Wouldn't that be like hilarious if it was just a, a decoy and he actually suited up? That'd be wild. But yeah, Travis Hunter, it would be a lot more scary, obviously, if Travis Hunter was on top of all the talented uh, skilled players that they have. Shotgun, let's move on to our fan submitted take it or leave it. And I guess I have to play along with you because right. these are asking us. So uh, we'll start with the ones from Jack, who actually sent in an email. He actually sent in three take it or leave it as well. So we'll get into these. Take it or leave it for everyone. Number one, Marshawn Lloyd runs for 125 yards plus against Colorado next week. I'm going to say take it because that Colorado run defense is giving up 200 yards on average. I'm going to take it, and I would add another 50 for Austin Jones and maybe even another 50 for Quentin Joyner. Okay. Uh, His second one is USC registers six-plus sacks against Colorado. I'm also going to take this one. They're averaging close to six sacks allowed per game. They are giving up a lot of sacks. I believe they're second to last in the nation in sacks allowed. Ah, that's a lot of sacks. I'm going to take it because Shador Sanders tries to keep plays alive a lot. And I think that leads to sacks. Even though I think the game plan should be for them, quick game, kind of like Arizona State did, trying to get the uh, ball on the perimeter a lot, um, but I thought USC did a really good job actually with a lot of that stuff. It was the misdirection that killed them, but you know the quick screens and stuff. I thought that Jacoby Covington, Christian Rolla Wallace, those guys on the outside, Sierra Wright, all of them made really nice tackles coming up and beating a blocker and getting back there to make a tackle for a loss. So um, I, I think that uh, that would still be my game plan if I was Colorado because I don't want Shadura taking a ton of hits if I was if I was his dad. And his final one, Miller Moss gets to play in the fourth quarter against Colorado. Hmm. We're going to blow out, Chris. Uh... I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it. All right. I'm with you then. I'll leave it then. <laughs> I don't know why. I just I, ju- I just want to leave it. I, I feel like they're – I don't think it's going to be a blowout to the point where they will put Miller Moss in to get – Playing time, I think it's going to be Caleb out there kind of taking some knees to, to end this one. All right. Uh, we have two from Gustavo. Uh, he has a serious and a non-serious one. The serious one first, will USC lead the Pac-12 in sacks? Where are we at right now, Chris? You're you're the guy who does the stat pack. Where's USC kind of sitting? Uh, how's the Pac-12 kind of shaping up for me there? Okay, yeah, I, I got you right now. USC is leading the Pac-12 with 16 sacks through four games. Uh, the other top schools are UCLA at 15, Utah at 14, Oregon at 13, Oregon and Oregon State, excuse me, are both at 13, then Arizona State and Arizona at 11. So those are your top squads in terms of double digits this year. So yeah, I mean, Oregon, Oregon State, Utah, UCLA, USC, kind of even right now, 16, 15, 14, 13. So I think it'll be a tight race. But, I mean, I'll I'll bite. I would say I think they could lead the Pac-12. I would take uh, if, it. if you're going with it, I'll go with it. USC is actually third in the nation right now in sacks. So, you know, that tells you the, the Pac-12 throws the ball a lot. 
there's going to be opportunities. And especially if USC is ahead in games, there will be opportunities for sacks as well. So, and the fact that they're getting there with multiple guys, I, I'm going to go ahead and say that they can do it. This non-serious question or take it or leave it moving to empty seats closer to the field after the game has started. I feel like I know what you're going to say shotgun. So you're going to go first for me. I'm definite. Take it. Yes. I, I absolutely knew that. I'm, a very kind of a rulesy person. So I always get afraid. I don't want to have that moment where they're like, I think you're in my seats. And then I'm all embarrassed shotgun. And then I'm all embarrassed. So I'm, I'm kind of a, I have to be with the right kind of people. My, my friends who are more, uh, adventurous than me. Adventurous. Yes. Hey, yes. I'm a, I'm so a nosebleed, nosebleed seats guy. Um, and then, you know, as the game progresses, let's just, yeah. Let's see where the, where the night takes us. What seats uh, kind of open up or what seats are available? Someone comes. Move out of the way. No big deal. Oh, my I'm bad. I read, I read my ticket wrong. I'm on the other side of this section because it's always I'm, tough. It, it's always tough at a lot of stadiums. They tell you the section number, but then they just say this is the section. They don't say which end of the section it starts and which one it doesn't. So you know, sometimes it's hard to tell with your ticket which side, which section you're actually in, whether it's the one aisle you're going down or the next aisle over. I'm going to leave it when I'm by myself, and I'm going to take it when I have Shotgun with me. That's my breakdown. And Shotgun, those are actually all our take it or leave it. You did a great job. Nice. Uh, to give a quick uh, empty seats closer to the field, um, I remember going to a Nationals game. And they were not very good. We bought the cheapest tickets possible driving in from West Virginia, where I was spending the summer uh, with a minor league baseball team. Drove in, and we're just down watching BP. And the usher was like, oh, you guys seats down here? Well, oh, no, we're way up there. He's like, you want your seats to be down here? (laughs) It's like, oh, okay. Well, well, what's what's the going rate here? It's 20 bucks. All right. So we got like fourth row seats for 20 bucks because nobody was coming to the game anyways. So us, you're trying to make a little money. Homie, the homie. I appreciate the hustle and I appreciate you uh, paying that man for his service. <laughs> All right, Chris, last thing. Is that it for our, we're, we're done with take it or leave it, right? We do have one overtime fun one for oh, you. Just okay. one. Take it or leave it. Who got it worse? Who got called out worse? Lou Holtz or Deion Sanders per Dan Lanning's uh halftime speech or Ryan Day calling out Lou Holtz at the end of their win. Who got it worse? Oh my gosh. I, I agree with Joey Galloway on college football extra or whatever it is tonight, whatever the the late show final. is. It was college football final. There you go. He said, what is with you coaches? You just guys got to get, get so upset about everything. You're so sensitive about it. Everything that anyone says and after talking about, oh, we don't read the clippings. We don't read this. We don't but someone does something and suddenly you're all upset and all sensitive about anything that happens. So, uh, you know, I, I, I leave both of those, uh, you know, I didn't even really see what Lou Holtz said, but how are you gonna get mad at Lou Holtz? I mean, he's like 112 years old. It, same thing. Even Jake Dickert, you know, getting mad at Lee Corso. Like, how are you going to get mad at septuagenarians? Like that's, that's not cool. You know, show some elders respect. They don't know what they're talking about. It's fine. But show them some respect. Well, there you go, Shotgun. That's all I got for you. So lead us into our final little thing for this serious, non-serious podcast. 
Score prediction, Chris, what are you going with as USC heads to Boulder for a 10 a.m. matchup against Colorado, where according to our document, the most recent line is USC is favored by 28 points. I've been thinking about this one since the podcast started. Not that very long, as you can see. Um, I'm going to go 42-21. 42-21. All right. If that is the score, what is USC's fans' reaction to 21 points scored against them? Not very good, but I'm going to say they get a garbage time touchdown. I'm going to say one of those will be – so it will be more like 42-14. They'll score a little bit late to make it a little bit more cleaner. Um, I don't know if I'm going to be able to cover practice because I said garbage time, but whatever. <laughs> so uh, I think they'll be okay going to Colorado and taking that taking that win. USC lost their streak of 50 points uh, scored. They had been three straight games. And Chris, if they would have scored 50 against Arizona State, what would have happened? I had this ready to go. I did this research. I was so bummed I didn't get to use it. But if they had scored 50 points against Arizona State, it would have been the first time in program history they'd ever scored 50-plus points in four consecutive games. The 2005 team came close. They came, I believe, 25 points short, or excuse me, 20 points short. And then the 1972 National Championship team also came close, but they came about 15 points short. I might have got those flipped up, but that fourth game obviously was a killer. USC was eight points short of making a little bit of school history, so bummed I haven't been. I did not get to use that set. I think they're going to get back on track, Chris. I'm going to give a 50. I was going to say 49 because that's a good touchdown score, but because they're going to need to get to the 50 burger, 50 to 17 is going to be my final score. Okay. okay. We'll see, though. Could be another challenging environment, and if they can't get the play calls in and get things lined up, then maybe the offense won't be scoring so many points. Well, possibly, but that's why we play the game, Shotgun, because we'll see what happens bright and early in Boulder. So have a safe trip out there, Chris. I will be watching from the luxury of somewhere here in New Jersey. Um, but we appreciate all you guys for listening Make sure you take a picture with Chris and tweet it out this week when you see him in Boulder, um, before the game, after the game, whatever it is. Whenever you see him, make him take a picture with you and then tweet it out to us here. That's going to be it. That's going to wrap it up for the Helium Boys podcast, a serious, non-serious USC podcast, a part of the Parastyle podcast family of shows. Make sure you guys subscribe, like, review, all those things. We have so many good shows on the platform, whether it's the Tunnel Visions, whether it's the Two Star Composite Podcast, whether it's the Harvey Hyde Podcast, all those shows, so much. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss one. And you can check out more at uscfootball.com. That's going to wrap it up. That's Chris Trevino. I'm Shotgun Spratling. Who am I again? I'm Shotgun Spratling. I think that's who I am. That's going to wrap it up. I said Scrockrun. Yeah. <laughs> this is all stuck together. It's time to go, Chris. It's 1.30 in the morning here for me. It's time for me to get this podcast ready for tomorrow morning's publishing. Thank you guys so much for listening. That's going to wrap it up. Peace.